Pastors. If you would, please turn with me to Mark chapter 13. I bet you've had the experience at least once in your life of going out and buying something and realizing that what you got wasn't exactly what you were expecting. Uh, you know, generally, if that happens, it uh, falls below your expectations, not exceeding it. In my experience, maybe you buy a tool, and it arrives in the mail, and it is the cheapest made thing you've ever seen in your life. Uh, or maybe you buy furniture, and it isn't what you were expecting. Uh, I had an example. When we first moved into our house at the farm there, uh, we were figuring out our furniture and everything, and Artina ordered some uh, bedside tables in the, the mail. You know, something simple, just to go on either side. Maybe something matching would be nice, you know. And, and I tell you what, it turned into a fiasco. We kept getting them and turning, sending them back and getting more and sending them back. And, and uh, it was like you couldn't get two of them that were exactly the same. There were different heights, and then finally we got some that were matching, but one was broken, and <laughs> eventually... We got it figured out. Uh, you know, those are annoyances, but they really aren't a big deal, right? I mean, at the end of the day, they're not that big of a deal. What's far harder is when young couples get married and one of the two turns out to stop putting up a good show. That's far harder. You know, that can bring pain that can last for decades. Uh, the mismatched expectations is where the, the pain comes in that. One of the things that I have grown to appreciate, appreciate about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is that he is just bluntly honest. He tells us things the way it is. As we read his words, he really doesn't sugarcoat things. And I have grown to really appreciate about that. He even tells those who would consider following him that they ought to count the cost. Some would tell Jesus that that is not effective salesmanship. But Jesus, of course, is no salesman. As we continue in our study of the Olivet Discourse, we've already read some hard things here, and there is plenty more hard things for us to read ahead. We'll see today that, yes, the times ahead are hard, but we will not be alone, and those hard things will not be purposeless. So let's read these sobering and hopeful words uh, in Mark 13 together. I'm going to be reading uh, in Mark 13, verses 9, down to verse 13. Our Lord Jesus says, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, your word uh, can be a hard pill to swallow at times. And yet, Lord, your word is good. So help us, I pray, as we look into your word. I pray that you would 
brace and strengthen our souls for the day we live in. That you would help us to be confident for Christ and faithful to Christ. I want to pray that you would help us in our day. Lord, there's so many things that we see, bills that get passed, and things happening in our own state that are very discouraging, concerning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to stand firm, to trust you. Lord, come what may in our day. Pray that you would help us to wait on you and to trust in you. And Lord, we pray that you would take our anxiety and that you would give us confidence in you. Help us in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The main point of this section we'll see is that God is with you as you bear witness to Christ in hard times. God is with us as we bear witness to Christ in hard times. As we work through this passage, we want to see Christ's suffering witnesses, Christ's supported witnesses, and Christ's successful witnesses. We will be Christ's witnesses And we will suffer, we will be supported, and there will be success in it. In verses 9 and 12 and 13, let's look at Christ's suffering witnesses. Uh, In verse 9, Jesus calls his disciples to watch. Calls them to be on guard. Last week we saw that Jesus had predicted the hard days ahead. uh, And he talked about things that would certainly impact his disciples. But really they were things that impact all sorts of people. Think about false teachers. False teachers seek followers inside and outside of the church. Jesus talked about wars. Wars impact entire nations. Talked about earthquakes and famines, and those kinds of things impact believers and unbelievers alike. The next threat that Jesus talks about in these verses are threats that are directed at the Christian. These are things that Uh, are carried out against those who follow Jesus. This is the threat of persecution. A time is coming, Jesus says, when his followers will be given over to councils. And the word there is Sanhedrins. Uh, Of course, there's the big Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. Jesus will stand before that. So many of the apostles will stand before that. The 71-member council with the chief priest sitting over it. But there were smaller Sanhedrins, There were smaller courts that were spread throughout the land. Uh, I think there were 23 members there. Uh, He's saying that you're going to have to stand before the Sanhedrins. Uh, You're going to be called before them. It says that you will be beaten in the synagogues. So they're going to be publicly, religiously shamed in in the synagogues. He says they'll even be forced to stand before governors and kings. There will truly be hard days ahead for the followers of Jesus. Um, Jesus has already warned his disciples in his gospel about the persecution that lay ahead. I'll jump back just a couple chapters. We saw this a while back in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and following. Jesus says, it says that, And calling the crowds together to him and his disciples, with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father 
and with the holy angels. So these disciples, even as they're hearing these hard words, they've already been warned, and we've already been warned, that there is hard days ahead. But notice in Mark 13, 9, Jesus actually gives a purpose for why they will stand before governors and kings. So that they are to bear witness before them. They are to stand trial as witnesses to Jesus in front of people, and they are to bear witness to Jesus on trial. Uh, the Greek word for witness here is marturion, and maybe that sounds like a word we're familiar with. Of course, we have the word martyr. We speak of one who dies for what they believe. Uh, at this point, in this development of the word in history, uh, the word marturion just means a witness. It's somebody who stands as a witness. Now, as time goes on over the next couple decades, and as more and more witnesses to Christ are put to death, uh, the word martyr gains the meaning that we associate with it. Uh, but here, Jesus is saying that their purpose for standing trial is to bear witness. I think it's ironic that those who have taken the followers of Jesus captive <laughs> become captive audience for those who are standing before them. And we'll see that more in a bit, but uh, just think about the ministry of the Apostle Paul that we've been following in Acts. Uh, he's literally standing before governors and kings. We've seen him stand before Felix and Festus. Those were governors. Uh, Herod Agrippa is a king. Uh, and Paul wasn't the only one. This happened repeatedly in his generation. It's happened in the generations since. Uh, and, and it still happens. Jesus mentions that things are going to get harder yet. If the first part of it wasn't hard enough, read what he says in verse 12 and 13. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise against parents, and will have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Those are heavy words. Jesus is mentioning that in that day, even family members will betray one another. It's going to happen even within families. Brothers will snitch on each other. Parents will even turn over his son. Uh, children will betray their own parents even to death. You know, that kind of a thing just blows my mind. I don't know how that's possible. Uh, but to be honest, if we are students of history, we can see that those kinds of things have happened before. Even in the last century, in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, in Stalinist Russia, with the collectivization and the intentional starvation of tens of millions, horrible things happened. Those kinds of things were happening. Family members turning over family members. You think it couldn't be possible, but it has happened on this planet. Uh, for this time, uh, I've read about one of the tactics of Roman emperors were to get Christians uh, to save their lives to confess about other people that they knew were Christians. Uh, then those confessions would be followed up with further arrests and people would end up being put to death over it. Uh, it's... Shocking, but there are cases where people, when threatened with their lives, will betray even people they love over to death. After so many hard predictions, Jesus adds this on top of it. Just a good blanket statement. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Those are staggering words. Now, there's a type of Christianity that's for sale today that says that if you follow Jesus... He will take all your problems away. All your troubles will go away if you just follow Jesus. Uh, you know, that kind of Christianity can't stand up to a text like this. 
Jesus will not magically take all your problems away. In fact, following Jesus may actually add additional challenges to your life at times. You may have people who dislike or perhaps even hate your convictions in following Christ. I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus is worth it. That's all hard stuff to talk about, I know. It's hard stuff to hear, I'm sure. But Jesus is worth it. The one who has given himself for us is the one who's speaking these words. We'll never outgive him. Think about what Christ has done for us in laying down his innocent life for us. He came, Philippians 2 says, he's, although he's in the form of God, he counted not equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He has given himself like that for us. We could never outgive him. We could never one-up what he has given for us. The Lord Jesus Christ is worth anything that we could give him in this world. I'll say even beyond that, there is nothing that Jesus would call us to in suffering for him that he hasn't already gone before us and suffered ahead of us. And just think about this fact. As he's discussing this with his disciples, Judas is sitting there listening. Judas is right there. You know, perhaps teaching like this helped Judas to see that he was on the wrong boat. Ironically, within a few days, Judas is going to conspire with the Sanhedrin to betray Jesus. Remember, in Jesus' ministry, he, when asked, somebody said, hey, your, your mom and your brothers and sisters, they're outside waiting for you. And he says, who are my mother? My mothers and brothers and sisters. The, the, basically, he pointed to those in front of him. He spoke of Judas there as his disciple, as his brother. And his brother Judas will betray him to the Sanhedrin. Jesus is going to be betrayed, beaten. He's ultimately going to be crucified. And he's going to stand before the governor Pilate. He's going to stand before King Herod. He's going to be rejected by the top religious authorities. So what Jesus has said that his disciples are going to go through, he goes through first. And he did that for us. He didn't do that for us so that we could, in every single situation, escape the wrath of man. He did that for us so that we could escape the wrath of God. Now, if you don't believe in the wrath of God on sin, or you don't believe that you are a sinner, then it probably sounds like a poor trade. But if you understand that you are helpless apart from what Christ has done for you, and you believe the promises of God in Christ, like forgiveness, eternity with Christ, and a resurrection life beyond the one that we live now, then you will find help to endure. And endure we must. We must endure. Jesus says that the one who endures to the end will be saved. I don't think that he means that the person who gets through persecution, that's the person who will go to heaven. Well, I Certainly we've seen those who are faithful to Christ who have died. Think of Stephen. He gives the good testimony. He's described in the book of Acts as being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, and he dies. And he is with his Lord. I don't think that this saying that the one who endures to the end will be saved, I don't even think it means that the one who endures to the end will be saved from physical death. Because then he would be saying the one who doesn't die 
will not die. I think that goes without saying. I think instead what Jesus means here is that those who persist to their end will be saved. Another way you could say that is that those who endure the race will win the prize. Those who persist in the face of opposition, who refuse to renounce Christ to save their own skin, those are the ones who will be saved. They will make it home. Some have drawn a parallel between what Jesus is saying in that verse and the four soils that he discusses earlier. He talks about the, the seed that falls on the, uh, on the pathway and the bird comes and eats it up. Well, the second soil he talks about is the, soil that fall, the, the seed that falls in the rocky soil and the soil takes the seed and it springs up and then it gets to be daytime and the heat comes and it withers and it's gone. There is joy in the springing up, but when a challenge arises, it's, it's out of there. I think that's what he's talking about here. The, the one who would say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but as soon as it costs something, uh, they're gone. The one who endures through that uh, is the one who will be saved. This morning, I don't want to sell you a bill of goods that doesn't match up with the reality. G- following Jesus is absolutely worth it. But that doesn't mean that it's going to always be easy. There is a great hope in following Christ. But there are also real challenges. Just think about the words, though, of a man who suffered immensely for Christ. Uh, You can flip there if you'd like to. I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We see the Apostle Paul. When Jesus called him, he said that basically you're going to have to see how much you'll suffer for me. And Paul shares that in 2 Corinthians 10. He's refuting these false super apostles who have come and uh, ingratiated themselves to the Corinthians and they're leading them astray. And Paul takes them to task. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Excuse me, I am in the wrong chapter here. Yeah, it'd be 2 Corinthians chapter 12, perhaps. No, it's chapter 11. Let's start in the middle. So uh, thank you all for bearing with me as I'm finding it now. 2 Corinthians 11, uh, starting in the middle of verse 21. Paul says, But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offsprings of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonment, with countless beatings, and often near death. All right, that's pretty bad. Let's continue. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst 
often without food, in cold, and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Paul had seen Jesus when he was called. He was never the same afterwards. Jesus sustained Paul in his ministry right through every single one of these things that he lists here. Paul never gave up because of that. Think about all of those physical sufferings that the Apostle Paul endured for Christ. And yet, in this same letter, he'll also say, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16... 17, he says, And so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul will list all of these sufferings. And he'll say that the, the things of this world are light and momentary. And that they are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Paul will also say in Romans 8, verses 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So here is a man that has suffered unlike almost any other person for Christ. All the things that Paul goes through, and he's excited about what lays ahead. He says, this stuff, it's light. It's momentary. There is a weight of glory that is coming ahead of us. Yes, there is going to be pain and suffering at times in following Christ. But for us, it is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. We will be with our Savior forever. Our minds can't even really get around what that's going to be like. Uh, It will outstrip anything that we can imagine. It is going to be beyond our imagination. Now, I'll be honest, I don't always feel about my challenges or even ridicule I've experienced in the past. I don't always feel about that like it's light and momentary. Uh, But by God's grace, we can grow in suffering for Christ in this way. You think about the Apostle Peter, on the other hand. He was faced with the question of whether he would suffer for Christ. He said he would. And then he denied Christ three times in a row. He couldn't stand the test at that moment. But Peter repented. And he turned and he strengthened the brothers, as Jesus told him. And he tells us in 1 Peter not to be surprised at persecution. So we see in this passage that we will be Christ's suffering witnesses. We'll do these things to stand witness, and there will be suffering. There's going to be pain in the journey in following Jesus. But that's not all that Jesus says here. We are not only Christ's suffering witnesses, but we'll see in verse 11 that we are his supported witnesses. This is no witness protection program. Jesus is talking about here, but I would suggest that it's something better. Sprinkled throughout the Bible, and you can trace this if you do a study on it, there is often a command that's followed by a promise in Scripture. The command is, do not be afraid. 
And the promise? Because I am with you. Do not be afraid, because I am with you. God's presence with us is what enables us to look in the face of terrifying things and march forward anyways. Uh, In verse 11, we get something very similar, though it's applied in a way that's unique to the context. If you turn back to Mark 13, verse 11, Jesus says, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells his disciples not to be anxious beforehand what they should say when they stand trial for him. The word means just don't worry ahead of time. And it's understandable, you can imagine, if you were going to stand trial and there were consequences, if it did not find in your favor, you'd be tempted, especially if you had to represent yourself, to go over and over and over and over and over again in your mind, making sure that you craft it just right. Uh, we would want to make our defense uh, exactly the way we want to, but Jesus tells them and us not to do that. Don't be consumed by anxiety and how you will say exactly what you're going to say in that moment. Don't fear. Why? Because in that very hour, the Holy Spirit will give you the words that are needed. He will supply us with what we need to faithfully testify to Christ. Uh, The truth is that in those moments, it won't be us making our case, but the Holy Spirit. Now, I think we often hear this passage applied, and, and it's right. We hear of people who have to stand trial for Jesus, and they are given words that deliver them from the persecution they're facing. Uh, We've seen, I'm sure you've heard stories of that, hear that in Voice of the Martyrs all the time, Uh, moments where the Holy Spirit gives people words to speak that delivers them from their challenges. Uh, We see that in the Apostle Paul, most likely in chapter 23, and he's standing before the Sanhedrin, and he sees that there's Sadducees and he's Fer- there's Pharisees, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm a Pharisee, and it's with regard to the hope of the resurrection that I'm standing trial. And he splits the Sanhedrin, and they're fighting together instead of coming after him. I think that is a right application of it, uh, but I don't think that's even the primary application for it. Uh, you think, again, of Stephen. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. He testifies. He's given words to speak. And he's stoned to death. Uh, I'm not trying to reintroduce anxiety where Jesus says, don't be anxious. But I I think we want to get the promise precise here. Yes, he often does give us words that will deliver us from persecution. But the promise here is that he will give us words that in that moment we can testify faithfully to Christ. The promise is that he will always be with us to give us words. We will never face persecution for Christ alone. You know, we may not have a friend in this world beside us like Jesus experienced, but we will always have that same Jesus with us in our trials. The Apostle Paul, again, experienced that. He at times was deserted. Uh, Two different times in the Bible, it discusses that the Lord stood by him when he had nobody else with him. If we face persecution, we will have Christ with us. So we can rest and we don't need to worry. Witnessing in that way, uh, I have to imagine, is not enjoyable, but it doesn't mean that there won't be joy. The irony we see in the Bible is that so often those who suffer for Christ find joy in that. We see that in Acts chapter 5. The apostles come out. They've been beaten by the Sanhedrin. 
It says, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That doesn't come naturally. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit. There can be peace and even joy in our witness to Christ in hard times because Christ dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. One more thing we should see here. We've seen that there are the suffering witnesses of Christ and the supportive witnesses of Christ. In verse 10, do you think we want to see the successful witnesses to Christ? It's kind of ironic uh, because nothing feels successful in these verses. But notice verse 10. And the gospel must be first proclaimed to all nations. Now that's paralleled in Matthew's gospel, all of that discourse. Matthew 24, 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The gospel is going to go throughout the entire world. In both of these verses, Jesus is telling us something about when the end will arrive. Uh, what is the key to the final wrap-up? What's going to need to precede that? The gospel is going to reach every nation. Think about that. Satan and all of his forces will not be able to stamp out the gospel of Jesus Christ. The saving message of Jesus will continue to get out and to go out. And surprisingly, God will often use persecution to get his message out. I mentioned him already several times, but Stephen, uh, the first martyr, uh, he testifies and he is martyred. And what is the effect that we've seen in the book of Acts? Because of that, the gospel goes out from Jerusalem, goes out to Judea and to Samaria, becomes a key part of the gospel going beyond Jerusalem, just like Jesus had predicted. God used it. Remember the purpose in in verse 9. It's to bear witness. It will be both through the suffering and the support that God gives his witnesses that his witnesses are going to be successful in getting the gospel out. It was the substitutionary suffering of Jesus that secured the good news of the gospel. It will so often be the suffering of God's servants that the gospel is going to continue to go forward. There's going to be suffering in this world as the gospel goes forward into new areas. And what's going to be the result? Is that suffering, is our suffering for Christ going to be in vain? Absolutely not. We get a sneak peek from John in the Revelation, and Revelation 7, 9 to 10, describes the throne of God. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There are going to be people from every nation, it says, from all tribes and peoples and languages. The gospel is going to go out. People will be saved, uh, and they will be praising the Lamb. So our suffering for Christ will never be in vain. I think we should be encouraged by that. Entering suffering that Christ leads us into, he will lead us through. He's going to support us with his Holy Spirit. And we can be confident that there is a purpose to it. If Christ leads us into suffering in that way, even in our generation, then we can be confident that there is a purpose to it and that he will support us in it. Even if we stand before authorities for Christ's sake, we can be confident that his Holy Spirit will give us words and will help us. Things will get hard, and then the end will come. The Lord Jesus will return one day and set straight this broken and crooked world that we live in. 
Uh, most of those, uh, excuse me, uh, we think about the fact that there is judgment coming. Uh, the, those who have persecuted Christ and have persecuted his people, they will stand before Christ. There will be a final judgment. Uh, and those who have been faithful to Christ will be delivered. We can be confident that until that day, the Lord will be with us and will sustain us. We can trust him in that regard. I want to invite the men to prepare for communion and Elizabeth to come and play.